If you have your pew Bibles in front of you, you may wish to find your way over to Psalm 8. Nathaniel agrees. Psalm 8. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. In our family, five-year-olds get to go camping with dad in the summer before they start kindergarten. That camping trip is repeated at age 10 and once more before middle school starts. We patronize one of Michigan's fine state parks. We get to sleep in a tent, go for a hike, build a fire, cook our food, and enjoy reading books and playing games. It's a special tradition, one that I have looked forward to every time one of the boys comes of age. Last summer, a few months after my second-born son turned 10, we decided to forego the traditional camping trip and instead take advantage of the fact that our family was vacationing up in Charlevoix, a mere hour's drive from the Headlands International Dark Sky Park, Michigan's only officially designated Dark Sky Park, a place right on the northern lower peninsula, right on the shore of Lake Michigan, a place where the light pollution is super low and where all flashlights are forbidden unless they have a red light so as not to disrupt the night vision of stargazers. It's a place where budding astronomers and high school students looking to make out gather to gaze into the heavens on clear nights. We rented an excellent telescope through an internet source. We loaded a cooler with snacks and drove up to the park after dinner. We arrived around 9 p.m. and we got the telescope set up and aligned properly and then we waited for the sunlight to fade and the sky to become dark enough to see the heavens burst into sight. We were not disappointed. From 10 p.m. until 2 a.m., Calvin and I took turns gazing through our telescope to watch the planetary bodies of Jupiter and Saturn move across the skies. We looked at the moon and counted the craters visible to us, and then, when it was most dark, we pointed our telescope deep into the depths of the universe to see the Andromeda galaxy and the Tarantula Nebula and various globular clusters and bright stars like the aging red giant Arcturus and also Vega, a sun twice as big as our own. We looked at Sirius, the brightest star in the northern hemisphere. We watched the gaseous arms of the Milky Way trail across the sky, disclosing to us tens of thousands of stars that we could see without our telescope. It was a glorious night of star and planet watching. It was a night when the heavens seemed so vast and when we seemed so small. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you've established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. Today's psalm, Psalm 8, is, as Charles Spurgeon called it, a psalm for the astronomers. 
It's a psalm that put words, puts words in the mouths of anyone who has ever dared to look up at night to see the universe sprawling out and taking shape across the skies. I suppose it's fitting then that of all the scriptures to choose, Psalm 8 was selected by Pope Paul VI to be etched into tiny microscopic letters onto a silicon disk that was left behind on the surface of the moon by the astronauts on the Apollo 11 mission. Psalm 8 is there right now on the surface of the moon and printed on a disk alongside official statements of well-being from every leader of every nation on earth. I suppose it's fitting that when Buzz Aldrin, a Presbyterian elder of his church, thank you very much, was beginning his return trip home from that same Apollo 11 mission, it was Psalm 8 he recited aloud as he saw the entire earth from the lunar lander. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them, yet you have crowned them with glory and honor. I've always been interested in astronomy, always interested in the vastness of the universe sprawling out across space and time, and from that interest comes a personal, maybe nerdy, love for fictional film and television shows like Star Trek, Star Wars, Interstellar, Battlestar Galactica, but also sci-fi novels from Asimov and Clark and Neal Stephenson, but also James Corey's The Expanse series, Andy Weir's The Martian, and Frank Herbert's Dune, to name but a few. The universe is a fascinating, unbelievable at times reality. And I love the way that science fiction novels and shows and movies try to wrap their minds around it. Part of my goal in today's sermon is to enlarge your understanding of the universe, if only just for a moment, to impress upon you some of the deep truths that today's psalm is expressing to us. Here we go. The earth is one of, one planet of nine planets, okay, in our solar system, which is one solar system belonging to the Milky Way galaxy. Fine. If you wanted to travel to the center of the Milky Way galaxy starting this afternoon, it would only take you 450 million years. No big deal. The Milky Way galaxy has somewhere between 100 billion, about 100 billion planets and between 200 to 400 million stars. Each of them about the size of our sun or larger. At the center of the Milky Way galaxy is a black hole whose size is something like four million of our suns put together. From planet Earth, you can look into a telescope and you can see nebulas like the Tarantula Nebula, a stellar nursery over 161,000 light years away that is about the size of 450,000 of our suns mashed together. And at its center, you could glimpse about 40 stars, each of which is 100 times the size of our sun, 10 times as hot. All right, the next closest galaxy to ours is the Andromeda galaxy. But close is relative, church, because it's something like 2.5 million light years away, which is to say that if you're a person in Andromeda who shines a bright flashlight out into the universe, people on Earth would have to wait 2.5 million years for that light to arrive. Andromeda has over a trillion stars, about three times as many as the Milky Way, and presumably it also has billions of planets too, but it's so far away we've only been able to spot like one. Andromeda's black hole at its center is something like 100 million times the size of our sun. All right, 
but let's keep going. The universe is estimated to have over 170 billion galaxies. 170 billion Milky Ways and Andromedas. 170 billion collection of billions of planets and trillions of stars. And speaking of stars, if you wanted to start counting all of the stars in the universe, it would take you a long time. How long? This long. If you did it by yourself, it would take you two quadrillion years of nonstop counting. If you conscripted all 350 million people in the United States, it would take us all 6.4 million years of nonstop counting. Now, if you somehow convinced the entire population of planet Earth, 8 billion, to start counting nonstop, it would take us all 280,000 years of counting. And if somehow you were able to get every single one of the 117 billion humans who have ever lived on planet Earth to start counting, it would still take our entire species 19,000 years of counting just to number the stars. One more comparison. Say you collected every one of the grains of sand on the earth from every shoreline and every desert. That would be about one-tenth the number of stars in the sky. The universe is a vast place, and we are such a small part of it, just a pale blue dot in the inky blackness of reality. In 1990, the Voyager spacecraft was out in the far reaches of the solar system, and it turned its camera back, and it took a picture of planet Earth. Here's the picture. I'm going to keep this image up for just a moment. Astronomer and, and public speaker Carl Sagan famously reflected on this picture by, by saying this. He said, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being that ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love who make out in dark sky parks, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. And he concludes by saying, the earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Psalm 8 could not agree more. When I look at the heavens your fingers have made, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? At its core, Psalm 8 is a psalm that raises all sorts of questions about humanity and our place in the cosmos, but it also affirms the unique qualities of our species that somehow elevates us above other animals. Somewhere in the tension between all that we are not and all that we are is where we find ourselves before God. What I love about Psalm 8 is that it's a psalm whose primary virtue is awe. Its primary question is why, and its final answer is wow. We have a shortage of awe in our culture today. We, we don't know what to do about things we can't possibly comprehend. 
our instinct as a species is to move quickly from awe to aha, from impossibility to investigation, from mystery to mass production. We are problem solvers, solution engineers. We do not do well with unanswerable questions. We do not handle mysteries well for too long. We have an insatiable quest for explanation, rationale, and answers. The fact that in each of our skulls here today sits the most mysterious bodily organ anybody has ever encountered, and despite the fact that we really do not have a grasp on how our brains are able to do all that they are able to do at the speed with which they are able to do it, this, this impossibility has not stopped researchers and scientists from trying to recreate the human brain by sequencing artificial intelligence models like ChatGPT or BARD or whatever's going to be released in the next coming months. We just don't know how to sit with the what is humankind that you are mindful of them for too long. We prefer to move expeditiously to you have given us dominion over all things. Thank you very much. Like an infant, awe is difficult to hold on to for too long. It quickly grows up into a teenager and thinks it knows all the answers to all the questions. Psalm 8 asks us to recover a sense of awe and wonder in all that exists, and invites us away for a moment from that insatiable quest to have answers. If you have your Bibles open to Psalm 8, great. If not, you might take a moment to locate today's short psalm and have it at the ready. We're going to take a look at a few of the component parts of the psalm as we allow ourselves to be shaped by it today. And first things first, if you're following along in your Bible, uh, you're told right at the top, and a little reference note that this psalm is directed to someone called the leader, that it is written, quote, according to the Gittith, and that it is a psalm attributed to King David. There's a lot there. Whether or not David, the giant-slaying king of ancient history, actually wrote these words is unknown to us, but for as long as this song has been sung and chanted, it was attributed to David, who's responsible for a great number of the psalms. So fine, a psalm of David. This psalm is one of several psalms in our Bibles that comes with some original composition notes, some comments, presumably written to the people who would be responsible for singing or chanting this psalm. And from those notes, we're told that this note was directed to the leader, who was probably the choral director of his day. And the only note to the leader is that this psalm was to be played, quote, according to the Gittith, which is to say, well, we don't know. It could be that the gittith was a really popular instrument. Or maybe that it was like a style of music. Maybe gittith was the name of a really popular musical album that year, and the leader was supposed to sing Psalm 8 according to that album. Like, like maybe the leader was supposed to sing Psalm 8 according to the style of Taylor Swift's Midnight's. I don't know. But that's a freebie for all of you who went to the show. Josh Kennedy in the back. We don't know what Gittith means. It's not something that we find in a lot of places, and we're not really sure what this psalm was supposed to, uh, to do with that, but the note is there nonetheless. But Psalm 8 is not interesting to me, church, because it was written for the Gittith. It's written to me because of other things. First of all, it is the only Hebrew psalm in our entire Bibles that from start to finish is direct address to God. From start to finish, this song is sung 
directly from singer to God. No, it's all of its observations, all of its questions, all of its praise are asked directly of God. Every other psalm speaks about God indirectly, telling others what God has done. But this psalm is different. This is a psalm of joyful, direct address from human to deity, from creature to creator. I find that curious and interesting. When faced with mystery and awe and wonder, as the author of the psalm had stepped out into the night and had seen the starry heavens above, the instinct was not to compose a psalm about God's creative power, but to compose a psalm to God in praise for God's creative power. The move from encountering beauty and praising God directly is an immediate move in the psalm, and that can be instructive for us. What do we do when we stumble into wondrous moments and events? How do we shape our prayers when we find ourselves in awe at the sprawling wonder of God's creation? Can we be shaped by Psalm 8 to move immediately to direct praise? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When faced with all that we do not know, can we direct our awe toward God directly? What are human beings that you are mindful of them? And at the end of our life, when we find that our time in our bodies is dwindling, when we, are, when we find that there is still so much that we did not figure out, can we then return to praise as this psalm returns to praise in the end? Can we end our lives with direct, personal thanks and praise to God who holds all our mysteries in his hands? Psalm 8 encourages us to adopt a direct, personal, immediate way of speaking to God in prayer. Secondly, though, and however, more centrally, I would say, this psalm reminds us of an essential conviction of the gospel that we proclaim as Christians. And it's this. There is an intrinsic distinction between creator and creature. There is an impossible, impassable chasm between God and the created order. Yet despite that chasm, despite that separation, despite that difference... God has persistently elected to cross that chasm on our behalf. Part of our gospel good news is that the eternal, limitless God bridges the gap between himself and us, stepping into our world, revealing himself in our world, and announcing his presence in ways that we can see and taste and touch and hear. Psalm 8 reminds us that while God indeed shows up in our world, he frequently does so in odd and fragile ways. You can see this in verse 2. Out of the mouths and babes, of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. Psalm 8 reminds us that God shows up in ways that seem unremarkable. Remember that in the Christian gospel, the primary subject of our good news is not you and it's not me. Our faith begins with God and it ends with God. It is always about God and what God does for us. 
The scriptures are filled from start to finish with verbs that characterize the numerous ways God steps into the mess of our created world. Consider the following verbs. God creates, breathes, pursues. God clothes. God covenants, listens, liberates, rescues, calls. God sends, forgives, speaks, descends, overshadows, teaches, heals, cleanses, sacrifices, dies, is buried, resurrects, ascends, fills, empowers, judges, recreates. The scriptures are a testimony to all of the things that God has done by crossing the threshold from creator to creature, by stepping into this world and becoming a part of our human existence in Jesus Christ. But Psalm 8 points out, look, sometimes the methods by which God accomplishes this are odd and fragile. The image of a baby is a fragile image. The picture of a nursing baby is even more fragile. The child is utterly dependent, physically weak, and can only digest one kind of food. What comes out of the mouth of an infant is not philosophical wisdom. It's not militaristic commands. It is not political rhetoric. There's nothing there that would establish anyone's idea of a mighty fortress. A baby cries, giggles, makes small sounds and loud sounds. A nursing infant communicates in only one way, a helpless, untranslatable cry that is either answered by food, sleep, or a gentle pat on the back by an older brother. A gentle pat on the back. What could the poet here mean when he says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, God has established a mighty fortress? About this, John Calvin wrote that it is in the weakness of an infant that we see the love and strength of God. It lurks in the agonizing silence as a child, skin shaded a bluish purple, emerges from the womb, tiny lungs slowly expanding for the first time, then blessedly contracting with a piercing cry. This is a holy place, a sacred encounter of God and humanity. There is something miraculous and wonderful about the entrance of life into our world, and if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we would see in that moment God's concern for humanity. The poet of Psalm 8 caught a glimpse of God's work in the cries of the smallest child. There was no way for the writer of Psalm 8 to know that several hundred years after this psalm was written, there would be an infant born in a rural farming town, bluish purple lips trembling in the cold. There was no way for him to know that on that night outside Bethlehem, while everyone else heard just another baby crying, and while anyone else would have just seen a poor couple giving birth, the entire foundation of the world shifted. For that infant was God's own self, grafted into the human race, not as a philosopher or a king, but as a helpless, nursing baby. And this child becomes the permanent link between God and the human race, between creator 
and creature. This child solves forever the crisis of the chasm between us, leading us again to wonder and awe. What are human beings? Not just that God should be mindful of them, but what are human beings that God should become one of them? What are mortals that God would choose to live among them? Psalm 8 leads us to wonder. Psalm 8 leads us to praise. Here on this day, as we're wondering how we might be shaped by these psalms, may you be shaped by these words of Psalm 8 to be more consciously aware in your day-to-day life the expansive nature of the creator God. May you glance up into the heavens with joy and awe, but may you be led right back into praise. May you be led to pray, what am I that you would listen to me, but may you also be led to praise God that God does listen to you. May you peer over the edge of the chasm between God and humanity and be humbled at its limitless, but may you also crane your ears to listen for the piercing cry of Christ, which cuts across the void and reminds us all that God has already invaded our realm with his presence and that his fingers shape and mold our destinies as well as those of the planet's. And above all, may you come to Jesus Christ, our Lord, with newfound trust as we realize that apart from him, we have no hope of encountering or knowing this God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.